0: Eavesdrop on Experts, a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights. It's where expert types obsess, confess and profess. I'm Chris Hatzis. Let's eavesdrop on experts changing the world. One lecture, one experiment, one interview at a time. You're sitting in a cafe, having a coffee, using the free Wi-Fi. You're chatting and posting online to your various social media accounts. But where does that data go? Beyond our friend circle, who else is seeing our daily data habits? Does our social media define us? Or is our identity in our bodies only? And what happens to that digital identity when we die? These ethical questions are being asked by us more each day. The answers are naturally complicated and ever-evolving. Luciano Floridi is the Professor of Philosophy and Ethics of Information at the University of Oxford. He was the special guest and keynote speaker for the Network Society Symposium here at the University of Melbourne in 2017. The keynote was entitled, The Green and the Blue – The Smart Deal for a Sustainable and Preferable Future. Our reporter Dr Andy Horvath sat down with Luciano to talk about digital privacy, the ethics of data as identity, and the all-important question of where the robots will take over the world.
1: Being an ethicist, your terrain is the digital world. Why do we need ethics in the digital sphere?
2: So ethics is uh, that area of uh, inquiry where we start looking at what's right, what's wrong, uh, what's the good thing to do, what's the bad thing to do. And of course, we've been there for a long time. So you may wonder, do we really need something new? Uh, Don't we not know what's uh, the right thing to do, who should I be, why should I do it? Well, the thing is that uh, every now and then, uh, life, history, human development, uh, pops up new issues that uh, need a bit of a rethinking. So it's not that we don't have any framework, but how you apply that framework to the new challenges, the new problems, that's what ethics does today. So the new problems today, clearly around us, the digital. Privacy, for example, or who owns what? Am I being pushed and pulled uh, when I'm uh, on uh, a social media? Uh, is anyone monitoring me? Uh, is it good to have all this data circulating? Who's managing the benefit of all this? Well, these are all new ethical questions. Of course, we have old frameworks that are pretty robust, but how we apply them to the new challenges, that's the question.
1: As human beings, we are online, sometimes we're offline, but you actually talk about us being on life. Explain that to us. The truth is,
2: in many places, say Melbourne included, you never really go online and you never are entirely offline uh, during the day. Of course, there are plenty of places in the world where people have never been on the internet and plenty of places where they are totally connected, checking their emails or WhatsApp you know, 24-7. But for most of us, uh, say, in Oxford or in Melbourne, or New York, Tokyo or Rio de Janeiro, uh, what happens is that we are in that sort of a mixed space where you are connected. For example, your uh, mobile phone is sending you uh, geographical location 24 7, and you're not really perceiving that. At the same time, you might be driving a car with a GPS telling you where to go, and that's also an online experience. But at the same time, you're walking down the street, you are uh, driving a car, so that's also offline. So, how do we square this? Well, by talking about this mixed space of on life, uh, where we are experiencing both things at the same time.
1: As my identity evolves in the digital world, I guess the issues of privacy become very pertinent today because my identity is not just my flesh, but it's in fact, or what I say and my behaviour, but it's in fact my digital data, my medical data, my purchasing data. Is this why we need governance of the digital space?
2: I think so. I mean, privacy has always been a big issue uh, uh, at any time in any corner of the world. But the digital has brought that to the forefront, has made it really salient, important, significant because of the amount of data we can collect, the uh, processing power we have to transform those data into information about an individual, tailoring information to that individual, profiling. So all of a sudden, it's a problem that touches me very closely. And uh, as you said, what exactly are we talking about when we're talking about privacy? Well, let me simplify a lot uh, by having two positions. One is more uh, economy oriented. My data as in my car, my house, my shoes. I own them and I can do whatever I want. Sell them uh, or give them to someone for a little while uh, and back again. The other one is more in terms of um, uh, identity. My data as in my lungs, my liver, my eyes. They're mine as in they make me who I am. They are constituting of myself. Now, we're moving increasingly towards a my data in a a constituting position as my organs, for example, and therefore the protection of privacy becomes the protection of myself.
1: I heard you say that there are more dead people online by 2050 than there will be alive then.
2: Yes, so this is something that we tend to forget. But uh, unfortunately, we are all mortal. And now that we live on life increasingly, we spend an enormous amount of time online, on social media. And when people are no longer here, uh, they pass away, their profiles remain behind. They are digital remains. Uh, Numbers uh, and figures change depending on who is uh, running them, but maybe 250, uh, 2050 or uh, 2060, but pretty Soon, we will have more uh, digital remains online than uh, live uh, profiles. What do we do with these digital remains? What kind of culture are we developing? We come from uh, a long, long time, millennia of um, uh, respect for human remains, of understanding what human dignity means, also with the, uh, the dead. We haven't quite caught up with the new challenges. This is something that we need to think about now because it's happening pretty quickly.
1: So you tie human dignity in with privacy. So imagine that
2: privacy is about who you are as opposed to what you have and uh, think in terms of uh, who you are as uh, protecting your special nature as a human being. It's not just about who you can become or the opportunities or means to an end, but it's uh, drawing a line, saying, look, some things just shouldn't happen, so we don't allow people to sell their organs, even if they are their own organs. we don't allow people to prostitute themselves even if they have in charge of their body. likewise, there are some information that constitute an individual that should be protected uh, as we protect their identity. Now, in that respect, now, privacy, personal identity, human dignity. Human dignity is the preamble uh, that supports the whole declaration of human rights. It's left undefined for a reason, because we all understand what we're talking about, and any definition will be exclusive of some features. So we want to be as inclusive as possible, multicultural, in different societies. But we know what we're talking about, and that is the crucial foundational stone around which we want to build the rest of the edifice.
1: Are various corporations already exploiting the digital data sets, and can we curb that in the future?
2: So corporations have been uh, uh, in charge of running the digital world now for some time, and in a way, that's a good thing. I mean, we needed that kind of uh, market-oriented, entrepreneurial, uh, daring sort of uh, innovation that has made a huge difference for good. I would argue that they shouldn't be left alone, shall we say, and their position should be complemented by a socio-political approach. So I'm not saying that uh, it's a bad idea to have all this corporate running uh, the internet, for example, or social media, or digital innovation. I'm saying that they shouldn't really be the only force, the only voice uh, in town. Now if we had a socio-political project, in other words, if as a society we could express what we would like to see happening in the digital world, then we would have, for example, their human dignity at the centre of the discourse not just and not merely economic interest. That is an important counterbalance.
1: So this is really about governance. We need to start now, don't we?
2: We need to start now. We are, in a way, uh, laying the foundations of the mature information societies that we want to see happening in the foreseeable future. I mean, future generations will look back and ask us, what did you do when you had a chance of doing the right thing, Uh, why you didn't think in terms of uh, setting up the right framework for the development of, say, artificial intelligence, digital tools, innovation, automation, and so on. I think we have an enormous chance, an enormous opportunity. We should grab it. Uh, One uh, moment of reflection, uh, sometimes a bit less optimistic, is that we might be having huge opportunity cost, things that we could have done, we should have done, we didn't, and we, in a way, uh, achieve less than we could have. Have, if only we had been doing a little bit more thinking.
1: What are some of the misconceptions the public have about artificial intelligence and robotics in the digital era?
2: I'm afraid there are many because um, the digital tends to polarise views. So we have the uh, incredibly over-rosy picture, uh, call it Hollywood, uh, and the incredibly dark, doom picture, or you know, maybe from, from Paris if we have uh, another geographical location, Uh, The truth, as usual, is in the boring middle, in the grey area, and there uh, the misconceptions can be taken care of. For example, uh, let's take two uh, points. One, Uh, there's only a limited amount of jobs in the world. If robots take those jobs, uh, there will be less jobs available for human beings not true. Uh, This is economy 101, really. There are as many jobs as economy makes them uh, feasible. Uh, Therefore, as the digital comes in, more jobs will become available. But above all, some jobs that were not affordable, not viable in the past, will become more viable, more affordable, and therefore will pass the threshold of what can be uh, doable in a society. Or, Take, for example, again, artificial intelligence. The huge misconception that uh, some kind of Terminator, Skynet, some sort of a Star Wars uh, scenario is going to happen, that's totally faithful, absolutely not uh, what science uh, would teach us. We're getting distracted when some of the real problems are around the corner. These are just two among many. Um, I think a more rational, well-informed debate would definitely help the governance of all this.
1: Who is disadvantaged or exploited in the digital era?
2: When we look at the digital era, we, we have these divides all over the place, the, the divide between those uh, that are able to use online tools, uh, services and so on, and those who are not, those who have uh, the kind of education that helps them to uh, be empowered, and those who don't, Who those who live in areas where there is not connectivity, and those who actually do, et cetera. So the divides are many, and I think that we are leaving behind a big chunk of the population all over the world, uh, including in smart cities like Melbourne, but also in, in corners of uh, no, whole continents like Africa. And that is on us, uh, in essentially the inclusive, uh, equal, fair um, governance of the digital is going to be the challenge for the nearby future. It's not just the new technologies, the new innovation that are around the corner, but really what we want to do, the kind of human project that we want to put in place, that will be the challenge for the thinking uh, people around the world.
1: Professor Luciano Floridi, you're the keynote speaker for the Network Society Symposium here at the University of Melbourne in 2017. Now, your talk is entitled The Green and the Blue, The Smart Deal for a Sustainable and Preferable Future. What are your take-home messages for the audience?
2: Essentially, uh, nature and the digital world, the, the natural and the artifactual, need to be uh, joined into, shall we say, a new marriage where they complement each other and then support each other. We're not going to have a future, and I'm serious about this. We're not going to see future generations enjoying a decent life on this planet if technology and nature don't build a strong alliance whereby the green nature and the blue of technology, digital technology, make a a strong push uh, to improve how sustainable our development of this planet is, but also how socially acceptable or, shall I say, preferable that development is going to be so on the one hand green economy uh, a green uh, ecological approach to the world we need to take care of the world we need to stop consuming the world as if there were not tomorrow at the same time what forces can help us to do that well technology which is one of the greatest thing that humanity has ever done in its own history meaning that the digital technologies can help us to lower our impact on the world improve how we use the world uh, and uh, maybe let us think a little bit more about how beneficial to the world our development can be.
1: Okay, you've got the microphone, Professor. Profess.
2: If I can say maybe just one uh, small thing in this huge development of amazing opportunities that we have today is um, let us focus a little bit more carefully on the sharing of the benefits that all this innovation is bringing about. Uh, We speak a lot about um, inequality, unfair world. It doesn't take much to put things straight and right again. uh, That little much uh, that is required is called politics with capital P. It's the best thing that we can do to ourselves to make sure that the immense opportunities that we are developing are to the advantage of as many people and as long as possible in terms of future impact as we can it will be also very good for business so a longer term perspective for business and for society benefit sharing and corporate world as good corporate citizens i think that that is the way forward
1: professor who's going to pay for that
2: there's a bit of a myth that uh, we don't have enough money. Uh, we look around and there are immense fortunes being uh, accumulated in very few corners. And the myth is supported by a mistake. The mistake that these immense fortunes will sooner or later percolate through society. Well, let's get rid of the myth and of the mistake. Uh, wealth is being accumulated, but it's not percolating. And uh, we know very well what it means to make sure that wealth percolates. It's called taxation. Fair. Uh, distributed, uh, intelligent, pro-business, but there are no many other different uh, ways of doing this. Make sure that uh, what wealth is being created is also beneficial to the wider society.
1: Robots don't pay tax.
2: Robots don't pay taxes. And uh, and that is a problem because it means that there is less money uh, to spend on uh, social initiatives, for example. But corporate world that uh, takes advantage of robots makes uh, uh, higher profits and therefore uh, can provide more in terms of supporting society at large. Now, of course, I'm not uh, supporting some kind of uh, uh, extreme left wing uh, appropriation of wealth, etc. That is very far from what I'm suggesting. But say one more socially-oriented, maybe Scandinavian uh, approach to what it means to live in a decent society, well, that's a good idea. Let me give you one example, to be concrete. Norway is the only country in the world that has a social-political approach to oil. And when we talk about data being the next oil, maybe we should look at Norway as the proper place where that oil has been properly uh, exploited to the benefit of the most, rather than just a few companies. Can you explain the Norway model? The Norway model is, um, is a great example of how you can, in a mixed economy between, say, the, the social, the political, the government and the uh, good business, can uh, lead to profit, which is uh, socially preferable, uh, essentially uh, sustainable. Uh, in Norway, uh, oil is, I'm oversimplifying, uh, but the point should be sufficiently clear, is owned by the Norwegians, meaning that the the company that uh, runs the oil business is a mix between uh, government and business. Now, uh, as I said, I'm oversimplifying, things are, are legally quite complex, but the point is quite simple. Um, the profit of having oil in your nation uh, goes back into, to some extent, the pockets of the Norwegians and future generations. is handled very carefully in order to avoid inflation, for example, as it has happened in many other countries, uh, say in South America. So is an intelligent, well-informed, economically viable, sustainable um, exploitation of resources. Now, Transfer that to, for example, large data sets. Governments are sitting on immense quantities of data, which are probably very um, useful economically. Should we just open that to any company whatsoever? Well, that's the transparency. That's a good thing. At the same time, who will be able to take advantage of large data sets if not the usual suspects? So we should be a little bit more careful and try to mix and match and see what can go back into society once we start exploiting resources which belong pretty much to everybody. Because remember, those data by the government have been collected through means that have been funded by taxation. So, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting in any possible way a socialist, left-wing kind of policy here. I'm talking about good business for good society. The two things are compatible. We just have to be a little bit more careful and smarter.
1: Just going back to robots, is there such a thing as robot dignity?
2: We need to remember that robots are essentially... uh, tools uh, in the hands of uh, human beings. Of course, we speak about autonomy, uh, machine learning, independence in terms of decisions. But let us not forget that if there is any problem behind what robots do or will do, it will be a human problem. What I'm worried about are not the robots and therefore their dignity. I'm worried about the human development and use of robots when done in the wrong way. So, uh, robots' dignity, uh, it will be
0: like the dignity of my fridge. I don't think
2: so.
1: Professor, it's an absolute inspiration to meet you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks to Professor Luciano Floridi, Professor of Philosophy and Ethics of Information at the University of Oxford. And thanks to our reporter, Dr Andy Horvath. Thanks also to Kate Murray from the Network Society Institute. Eavesdrop on Experts, Stories of Inspiration and Insights was made possible by the University of Melbourne. This episode was recorded on October 25, 2017. You'll find a full transcript on the Pursuit website. Audio engineering by Gavin Neighbour. Co-production by Dr Andy Horvath and Sylvie Van Wall. Eavesdrop on Experts is licensed under Creative Commons, copyright 2018, the University of Melbourne. I'm Chris as producer and editor. Join us again next time for another Eavesdrop on Experts.